Are you excited to be in church today? Really excited? Like really excited? I'm not interested in going to church unless the presence of God is there. My attention span is just too short to be a part of anything that's religious or ritualistic, but I believe that God is here this morning. Do you believe that? Look at your neighbor, say, neighbor, it's about to go down. Look at your other neighbor, say, neighbor, I'm about to turn up. Let me give you a little bit of a preface before I get started. So uh, they do call me a hollaback preacher. Okay, so when I preach, you need to... Okay, so I, I grew up, just a little bit of background, I grew up in a very conservative white church, but I got filled with the Holy Ghost in a gospel church, okay? So, so to make me feel a little bit at home, you got to preach back to me. You can say things like, amen, hallelujah, preach it, white boy, I don't care, just say whatever you got to say to let me know you're in the house, okay? Is that all right? Can we do that? To let you know a little bit of what's been going on, and then I'll tell you a little bit about myself before we get into the Word this morning. I have been working with an incredible group of young adults and older adults and seasoned adults for the past few weeks. Uh, can I get the Dream Team to stand up? If you've been working with us for the past few weeks, can I get the Dream Team? Can you guys give them a round of applause? Stay standing. Stay standing. So these people, incredible people have been working incredibly hard to produce something that is going to be kicking off next Wednesday night, October 5th. I think we have a few pictures uh, to show you. Our last Tuesday night, that's the sermon slides, but we've got a couple pictures for you that will be up somewhere. Um, these, these guys have been working so hard. That is not the other one. This one, there we go. Uh, they've been working so hard because we believe not just here at the church, but your leadership here at this church believes in the next generation and reaching the next generation of youth and young adults. And so what we've been doing over the past about two months, a month and a half, is we've been working diligently to prepare for our first youth and young adult service that will be happening here this coming Wednesday, October 5th. These are a couple of pictures of your team working together. Uh, I will not be preaching at this service. They will be. They'll be sharing what God has been doing in their lives. We're going to be having a very unique and different style worship experience. We've cleared, uh, someone said, was it you, Pastor Tracy, that said, let's clear out all the chairs? We're actually going to be doing that this Wednesday night. Everything is going to be flipped upside down, uh, and we're going to start having once a month youth and young adult services for our next generation in this church. We believe that God is doing something here at Storehouse, and uh, it's because of the faithful time talent, treasure that these have been putting into preparing for them. So uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that in the next few minutes, but can you guys give them one more round of applause as they sit? Been working so hard. They, uh, they've got some, some crazy stuff to share with you this Wednesday night. So if you are anywhere between the ages of 13 to 30, you are invited to come to Young on Wednesday night. Like I said, it's going to be once a month that we do this, so it won't be a regular scheduled service. Uh, every other week, we'll be having small groups, connect groups for our uh, youth and young adults to build community with one another. But we wanted to create something that is special for that age demographic because we believe in what God is doing in the next generation. Do you believe that this morning? A little bit about myself. Uh, my name is Jared Ellis. I am originally from Long Island, New York. Any other New Yorkers in the house? I met a couple of New Yorkers. Yes, come on now. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I am excited to have my mom here all the way from New York. If she, 
If she leaves early, it's because she's jumping on a plane back to New York, so don't get offended, and it's not because my preaching is bad, right? Okay. Um, I grew up in New York, born and raised into an amazing home, great parents, uh, Christian family, uh, was very heavily involved in church and church planning, um, was, was, had just an incredible upbringing, parents that loved the Lord, uh, raised me in the fear and admonition of the Lord and, and all that good stuff. Uh, when I was 11 years old, however, uh, I lost my father to cancer and did not expect that to ever happen. The, the God that I had heard about from the pulpit uh, was very different from the experience that I was having in my life. And I think we can all say that at some point in our lives, we've experienced frustration and disappointment and discouragement because our expectation doesn't line up with our experience. Are you with me? And so uh, when, when I lost my father to cancer, decided to walk away from the Lord and do all types of crazy things, get involved in drugs and alcohol and uh, immoral relationships. I was clinically diagnosed with depression, suicidal cutting, every level of depravity you could possibly imagine. I was involved in it. And so uh, I did that for about six years, trying to find answers. I uh, was so angry, just, just filled with rage and hatred in my heart because I didn't understand how a loving, caring father could let a father of three children, one adopted from Korea, pass away and leave behind a woman with three children. It just didn't make sense to me. And so for about six years, I, I did that, lived in all types of craziness until uh, I experienced um, Jehovah Sneaky. You know, because you can run from God, but he runs faster than you do. And uh, I got tricked into going to a youth conference in Connecticut with a, with a bunch of crazy people. See, I was, I was raised in conservative Christianity, but I went to this conference with people like Stacey Campbell and Matt Sorger and Cindy Jacobs and Jason Upton. I don't know what the heck was going on. I walk in this place, and people are shaking and freaking weird people all over the place, kind of like here. And I was like, what is going on. Uh, but I experienced something there that I'd never experienced anywhere else, and that was the tangible presence of God that I could feel. Something was calling to me. I didn't know it at that time, but the Sunday morning of that conference, which is kind of the throwaway. Nobody expects anything to happen the last morning of the conference, right? It's like whatever. But the, the speaker invited all of the young people to come to the front, and so I answered that call. And, decked out and crazy hair and black skinny jeans and I guess not much has really changed but <laughs> I was looking weird and uh and went up there I was actually in a hardcore band at the time that screaming music that you think is demonic and uh so I went up with my band members and this little and, and then the the speaker invited all of the older generation to come and surround us and this little old lady with white hair, it's always a little old lady with white hair, because there are praying mamas everywhere. And she puts, she puts her little hand on my shoulder, like, so afraid, you know, like, like didn't know what was going to happen. And she prays the most generic prayer, God, show him the plans you have for his life. And boom, I heard the audible voice of God say, change your life, quit your band, and get ready for full-time ministry. Now, I didn't shake, I didn't fall out, I didn't shop on my way all the way out the, the doors, 
but I heard the voice of God. And when you have a real, genuine encounter with the Holy Spirit, everything changes. You see, it just takes one moment with an encounter with God for everything in your life to be flipped upside down. That's why they call the apostles the one who are turning the world upside down. Because once you encounter the man that turns your life upside down, you can't help but go out to the highways and byways and begin to change everything, the atmosphere and so my life began to change, and from 16 years old till this day, I've been in ministry preaching uh, all around different places and leading worship and leading ministries, and have had the opportunities to go to uh, so many different churches, and uh, there was a season uh, where I spent here in Dallas getting trained at Christ for the Nations uh, here in, in the city. Uh, from there, moved to Bethel Church, where I was a worship leader there for about a year and was a part of that incredible sustained revival that we're seeing happening in Redding, California. Um, pastored in West Texas for about three years. We saw a, a tiny group of 12 students turn into over 300 in just a few months because we introduced young people to the presence and the power of God. Let me just tell you something that teenagers are not looking to be entertained. They're looking for an encounter with God. They want a move of God. And if you offer them an encounter, it'll change everything. We saw fire just begin to uh, be set in West Texas. And everything, everything in that city began to shift. We saw students leaving our youth ministries, going to their high schools, believing what they actually were taught in church and standing on the cafeteria table saying, hey, are you sick? Come over here and I'll heal you. May not be the best method but hey, we started seeing revival happen in our high schools. We started seeing revival happen in our junior highs because young people are just dumb enough to believe what Jesus says is true. I love it. That's why I love young people. It's because they haven't been tainted by discouragement and years of disappointment and frustration and they're just at that point where they can believe that God can really do a miracle. From there, I went and worked at Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I uh, had an ability to be a part of that movement. And so God has been able to take me all over the place. And I can tell you right now that the person standing up here has no reason why I should be doing what I'm doing right now. I, I didn't merit this. I don't deserve this. Uh, I'm just a guy who said yes. And that's really what I felt called this morning to come to bring to you on assignment. This isn't a speaking engagement. This isn't just another time I go and preach on a Sunday. I came on assignment this morning asking you the question, will you say yes to seeing the next generation encounter a move of God? Will you say yes? Because you don't need to be qualified. You don't need to have all the correct answers. All you need in your heart is a yes. My question to you is, will you really say yes? Will you genuinely accept the mission, if you choose to accept it, is to see a generation come to know God? Because every time I look around, I don't know about you if you're Facebook people, but every time I get on Facebook, it seems like I see another article on Millennials. How many of you are sick of the articles on millennials? They're labeling us with this is the least church generation. It's the most lazy generation. It's the least educated generation. And I'm tired of the labels that are being placed on my generation. And I'm looking for the label or, in other words, a moment that would mark us to be called Generation Revival. You see, I, I, I believe I'm going to preach it. 
I believe that if we would press into this, I believe if we would just get a hold of this, that we could see the labels that have been placed on us begin to fall and see a new label called Generation Revival. It's why I got it tattooed on my arm. It's because it's what I live for. This is what I believe in, is that I don't just ask for revival. I am revival. Wherever I go is revival. Wherever my foot steps is revival because I got the spirit of revival on the inside of me. But, but if it stops with me, then I missed it. I want to talk to you this morning out of the book of Judges Chapter 2, Judges chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, you can open them. But, but I, I've been studying this for quite some time now because I've been asking the Lord, God, what is it going to take to see a sustained move of God pass from generation to generation? Because I don't know about you, but every time I study revival history, I genuinely believe that each one of them has ended abruptly before its time. Each revival that I've studied has ended abruptly before its time. And I believe that if we would just look throughout the word of God, the answer to a sustained revival, a sustained move of God is found in these pages. Judges chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. This is what it says. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen, listen, all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Skip down to verse 10. It says this, when all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Let me give you a little bit of background. We know that before Joshua, who was the leader of Israel? Moses, right? And Moses liberated the people of God out of slavery, out of Egypt. They'd been enslaved for 400 years in bondage, a laughing stock to the nations around them. How could the very people who call Yahweh their God be living in slavery and in bondage? Moses finally comes on the scene liberates them from their slavery, and now leads them into the wilderness. But we know that Joshua rises up as the man who will not just liberate them from bondage, but lead them into their promise. So Joshua begins to lead the people to a new place. And it says that in Judges chapter 2, when Joshua leads them to their promised land, they each go to their own inheritance. I think that that's interesting because when I read the Bible, I don't just graze through it. I I think you need to chew on it because this is the very living, breathing, living word of God that can, it can change everything. But, but, but when I think about what the picture of that looks like, I remember that the Israelite, the Jewish culture valued community so much because they had been together in bondage, right? They'd stayed together because all we had was each other. But, but now, in the wilderness, we got to stay together because all we got each other. But now that we're in the promised land, now we can rest a little bit, right? This is, this is, the, this is the prophetic word. It's finally come to pass. Everything that I've been longing for, everything that I've been hoping for, it's here. But the Bible says that 
what they valued in the past of staying together begins to change. As they walk into their promise, they split up, each to their own inheritance. How many tribes of Israel? There were 12 tribes that went into 12 different territories. So they split up to possess their own land. What happens when they split up from community and togetherness and they move into the possession of their own land is that a generation rises up that does not know the Lord. You see, if we truly want to raise up a generation that has revival at its very core, we have to realize that as God's people, we must value progression more than possession. We must value progression more than possession. Uh, about two years ago, I, uh, I ran this thing called the Spartan Race. You ever heard of this before? Spartan Race. It's this crazy uh, fitness race that was happening here in Dallas. And uh, I, I remember I actually found out about it because at that time I was living in Abilene and I, I was kind of lacking community. I was kind of frustrated by doing life by myself. And so I decided I'm going to join these classes at the gym, maybe make some new friends. And so started joining these classes about a couple weeks in. Uh, the people in the class said, hey, you need to do this race with us. It's going to be awesome. And so uh, we've got a group rate going. Come and join us. So I was like, let's do this. It's going to be great. So we show up to this Spartan race in Dallas. And uh, we get all lined up. You know, it's, it's crazy. It's like 13 miles long with over 30 obstacles like rope climbing and jumping upside down, all this crazy stuff. So we're lined up on, on, the, on the starting line. And all of our group is together, right? And in front of us is the first obstacle, which is like this massive rushing river of mud and muck and rocks and everything. And you have to jump into the river and kind of walk upstream to get to the next obstacle. So I'm, I look at our team members. We're in this thing together. We got this. We're going to make it. So all of a sudden, boom, the, the shot goes off. We start running. And about two minutes in, I realize that, I'm way faster than the people that I'm on a team with. Now, I don't know if there's anybody that's really competitive in the room, any, any competitive people, but, but I, don't, I don't think there's fun without winning. Like, you can't, they, they go together. Like, I want to win. I don't have fun if I don't win. Or I, I'm, I, and so I'm with them, and I had to make a decision in that moment. Like, some, some girl is caught in, like, in the twigs, and they're, you know, dying in the water. Do I help my team or do I win? People are passing us. What is, we can't afford, like, this, this happens, this is so bad. This happens while I'm driving. Literally, the people next to me, if they start to pass me, they don't know that we're racing, but we are. It's a race and I'm going to win. People are passing us and you're stuck in the water. Get up. And so I had to make a decision at that moment, like, what am I going to do here? And I decided to win. So I ran way beyond all of them. And listen, no lie, I finished the race in three hours. They finished the race in five hours, okay? Now, for a very competitive person, like, that's not okay. Like, I, we have to finish first. Here's the problem. I crossed that finish line. I remember I was exhausted. I literally fell to my knees after crossing that finish line because I was so tired. My body had taken so much. And I remember 
just this feeling of accomplishment. Like, I can't believe I just did that. I didn't even train for this thing, right? And I look around, and it's just me. Yeah, I won. It's awesome. I finished. But who is there to celebrate with? It kind of sucks to celebrate without anybody else, doesn't it? Like when something amazing happens, isn't it our first instinct to want to tell? Like I got to tell somebody. Like I got to call someone. I have friends on the other side of the world that live in Australia so that when something awesome happens at night and nobody else is awake, I still know I have somebody to call because I need to tell somebody. I remember the next day going to class and showing up with all those other people that I left dying in the water and drowning. That was a really uncomfortable class. You know why? Because my actions spoke way louder than my words that said, let's do this together as a team. My actions said, I'm more concerned about my own personal satisfaction than I am with the progression of our team. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if we have become so consumed with possessing our own promised land that we have left a generation in the dirt, drowning in the water, because I got a word. I got to get to my promised land. No, but you don't understand. I finally found where I feel at home. I finally found the place that's for me. And I wonder if drowning in the water is, is the, the next generation wondering, where's everyone at? You see, I, I, I've, the Lord began to speak to me about this, and I realized that just, take, just break it down generationally, right? My grandparents lived through the Great Depression. They lived with the mindset that I'm going to work so hard that my children, you probably heard this before, will never have to go through what I went through, right? I'm going to do whatever it takes so that my kids won't have to fight the fight that I had to fight. Right? I'm going to do whatever I can, and so I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do overtime, and, and we're maybe even going to immigrate. We're going to move to an entire different nation so that our kids can have a life that we can never have. That was my grandparents. That was that, was that generation. But what happened because of that was it created something in my parents' generation that maybe many of you are in, which is that mentality that says, it's all about me. Because my parents work overtime and they fight and they do all this stuff so I can have a bunch of stuff. And what happens is a lot of you parents in the room had parents that were emotionally absent, but you, were, you had households filled with a lot of stuff. Well, your needs were taken care of, but your fathers weren't there. So you're a bunch of orphans wondering, where is my father? Like, I, I get that we have money and we have stuff, and yeah, we're not living in the streets anymore, but, but I don't even have a father involved in my life. And so it created a generation that, that, was, that was lived with the mentality and the mindset that, that it's all about me and stuff is what I need. Well, 
that generation parented my generation, who's got the dysfunction of both generations that says, it's all about me and it's all about stuff, and there's no emotional connection whatsoever. And so now, and I'm giving you a little bit of education on the next generation, is that now there's a generation out there that doesn't simply not understand what it looks like to, 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 to be loved and nurtured by parents, but they have no grid for who God is. Absolutely no grid. You know, like, you can go, you could go into a church back in the day and talk about Moses and talk about Abraham and talk about David and Goliath, and even if they weren't church people, had some sort of a grid for this stuff, right? I pastor the next generation. I preach to the next generation. They don't even know those stories. They have no grid for it. Because dysfunction has produced dysfunction, has produced dysfunction. And so now we have a generation that doesn't know God. I wonder if church folk have become more consumed with their own promised land than they have with progressing a legacy. So the Bible tells us that, that this, is, this is what takes place. Generation rises up that don't, don't know God. Judges chapter 6 tells us what God decides to do. Because God always has an answer to a problem. God always has a man or a woman that he chooses. And in the dispensation of the judges at that time, the Spirit of God would find a man or find a woman that would liberate God's people from captivity and bondage. Because even though they'd been liberated from Egypt, they were still living in this dysfunction. Why? Because a legacy had not been passed down. Now we were focused on our own promised lands. What happens is we find a man named Gideon in chapter 6, Verse 11, it says this, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, which is Gideon's father, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in a winepress. Threshed wheat in a winepress. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Couple, couple problems with this passage for a second. First of all, Gideon, we find, as a young man, is threshing wheat in a wine press. Anybody else see the problem with that? Okay. When you thresh wheat, you need wind because the wind separates the wheat from the chaff, right? You thresh wheat outside, usually on a hilltop. A wine press is an enclosed space. No wind in a wine press. Confusion. I'm a little perplexed by that. Okay, not only that, but God shows up to Gideon and he says, hello, mighty man of valor. <laughs> the question I have for you this morning is what do you see when you look at this generation? What do you see when you identify a young person steeped in sexual confusion? Because Gideon wasn't actually that far off, if you think about it, because the threshing of wheat 
is actually to break down the wheat, to divide it from what it needs to not be with so you can get the finished product. A wine press is a place where you crush grapes to divide it from something that it shouldn't be with to get the finished product. Similar in process, very different product. Similar in process, very different product. I wonder how many young people that we know are trying to find the answers through a similar process, but in the wrong place, getting the wrong product. Am I, am I preaching to anybody in the room this morning? But I love the angel of the Lord, which if you have ever studied theology, is, is what we call a theophany. It means that it's Jesus. Whenever you see angel of the Lord, it's a pre-incarnate showing of Jesus before he came in the flesh. I love Jesus because he shows up and he calls him a mighty man of valor. What do you see when you get on Facebook? And pictures of depravity show up from the young people in your community. What do you see when you turn on the television? What do you see when a young person walks in here and sits in the back and crosses their arms? What do you see? When God showed up to Ezekiel and he brought him into the valley of dry bones, I think it's interesting who asks the question, can these bones live? In all reality, that should have been Ezekiel that asked the question, can these bones live? But God asked the question, not Ezekiel. You know why? Because before God can use you to prophesy something, he needs to know what your perception is. He needs to know what perspective that you have. Because if you begin to prophesy simply what you see, you might not be partnering with the plan that the Spirit has for a generation. But he's going to ask you the question, what do you see when you see bones? What do you see when you see decay? Because if you can see what I see, even when it's not in the natural, maybe I could use you to prophesy something into a generation. Maybe. Maybe I could use you if you can see it. But can you see it? The problem is that we find Gideon in the midst of confusion, lacking identity, living in insecurity. You know why? Because that was what he was raised in. We learn that Joash is his father. Do you know who Joash is? He's the guy that erected all the temples and tabernacles and pillars to Baal in their city. His daddy is a little bit dysfunctional. Anybody got some daddy dysfunction? Hey, it's okay to be honest in church. That's what he saw. And idolatry will always breed insecurity. Because you were never created to make idols to things that can't answer the questions of your own identity issue. The only thing that can bring identity is connecting to the one who actually formed you in your mother's womb, who gave you purpose. That's the only way to understand identity is to know Christ. So I wonder, I wonder if we've got a generation living in insecurity instead of identity. Judges chapter 6, verse 30, it tells us this. Well, God shows up to Gideon, and, and Gideon answers the call. In fact, I think it's interesting because God, God always works in order. 
He should have gone to the father, but he couldn't get to the father because the father was steeped in dysfunction. So he goes to the son, Gideon. Gideon has a yes in his heart, and he answers God, and so he decides to take action. Let me just tell you this this morning that faith is not an ideology. It's not this weird supernatural cloud. It's not this bizarro thing that exists in your head. Faith is very practical. It's an action. What you believe in, you will do. You believe that the seat that you're sitting in was going to hold your weight, so you sat down in it. When you have faith in something, it means that you take action to believe in what you actually believe in. And so Gideon decides, now in my generation, we are going to live with conviction and not compromise. We are going to live with conviction and not compromise. Let me just tell you this prophetically, church, that there is coming a time in the world that is going to get so dark, they are going to look for a city on a hill. Okay? I have hope because I'm a part of the body. We got the blood, baby. We got the life throwing in our veins. We've got it. We've got the heartbeat of heaven. But the world is going to get so dark because of the confusion that's being taken place in our generation that they're going to begin to look for a city on a hill. The question is, will they find it? We have a responsibility in this generation to stand for conviction. We have a responsibility to stand for righteousness over relevance. I don't need to compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ to catch all these young people out here. I don't need to compromise the message of the gospel so that I can maybe seem cool to young people. No, the power of God is always relevant. Revival is always relevant. And if I would just stand on the truth... Listen, you think that you need to compromise your morals? You think you need to compromise the message to to, to gain the attention of young people? Look at the confusion. Can we just look at the confusion? Who am I? What sexuality am I? What, what, what What do I do with my life? What's my purpose? I got the world screaming in my ear that I'm just amniotic fluid and goo just with no identity and no purpose and we have the answer we have the answer